Hello, hello. Welcome to Scouting for Growth, the podcast which enables entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, investors gain insight on the venturing world from a fintech and insurtech lens. It is not an easy task for small and medium-sized businesses to find the right protection, despite the fact that there are so much more small businesses out there that have emerged since the pandemic. So today I decided to tap into the knowledge of two industry veterans. Jeff Shee, who runs Intratech Group, where he connects consumers with top industry partners using advanced processes and technologies. Jeff helps consumers to better understand their policy in an effort to meet each of their unique needs. Tim Lovett has nearly been at the Hartford for six years. The Hartford is a well-known insurance group in Connecticut, which I have worked with too in the past. Team helps small and medium-sized companies make better choices. He has a background in claims management and distribution. Both strengths allow team to educate and assist agents in growing their respective small commercial portfolio. On this episode of Scouting for Growth, I've asked Jeff and team to help us understand the current situation with small commercials in the United States. SMEs, as we all know, make over 90% of businesses in many countries, and they are often considered to be the backbone of the economy. However, due to their diversity and diverse uh, nature, it can be challenging to estimate the exact size of the SME market in many, even developing or developed markets. So let's dive in. And uh, a reminder, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, do not forget to subscribe to it, rate it and provide a comment here below. If there is a topic that you feel needs addressing, just send me a message using the communication channel provided as well below. So let's welcome Jeff and team to start our discussion on small commercials. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Scouting for Growth. I am so thrilled today to have two market colleagues joining us, Tim Lovett and Jeff Shi, and both are going to introduce themselves because they are passionate about insurance, and we are going to focus today on small commercials. So I'll start with Tim. Welcome, Tim. Nice, nice. to meet you. Uh, thanks for having me. And uh, please tell us a little bit more about who you are, Tim. Yeah, so my name is Tim Lovett. Uh, I'm with the Hartford today, and I work in our business development space, um, researching, bringing on, kind of standing up, architecting strategic partners, programs. Uh, it's a very broad bucket uh, when you think about it. It can go from anything from setting up formalized programs with franchises, associations, to uh, the, the all-too-fun world of insurtechs and exploring the new types of partners that are out there to you know, try to help uh, customers in the best way possible. Superb. So partnership is one of your key core skill set and developing amazing partners, partner ecosystems. Yeah, that's correct. And, and I think it's been really great to be in this role. My background's very eclectic with what I've done in insurance over time. So 
uh, to me, it's almost uh, been a crescendo to kind of get here and be in the right spot at the right time. Superb. Jeff, welcome. Thanks for having me. And Jeff, tell us a little bit more about you. Yeah, my name is Jeff, and um, I am founder of InsurTech Groups. We are, we are focused on delivering client experience, and uh, we are a distribution-focused personal line and commercial line insurance agency. And um, what we're trying to do is enhance the consumer experience using InsurTech and technologies. So one thing I saw, Jeff, is that you do a lot of other things. Can you share a little bit more about your other top projects? Um, so we do a little bit of consulting work in the insurance space. I, um, I, I connect with a lot of people in the insure tech space and um, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Not as uh, many followers as yours, but I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. And, um, you know, I got a couple of little babies, you know, two-year-old and four-year-old, and they keep me pretty busy. Well, I am sure children can keep you busy. I have amazing godchildren, which, you know, when I go and see them wow. during the weekend, keep me super busy too. So let's get started with our conversation around small commercial. So first... What does small commercial stand for and how is the market going right now, Tim? Yeah, it's funny you say that. I, I laugh all the time because I feel like we we all speak different languages in the insurance industry and how we define small businesses, even amongst carrier groups that, that specialize in small business. Brokers uh, tend to have different definitions of what they call small business. Um, you know, it, I think that's broadened over time to be even a bigger uh, bucket than it used to be historically, just from a, a modeling perspective. Typically speaking, you're probably looking at under 50 employees, under 100 employees type businesses. Uh, mostly can be defined within that small commercial bucket, but I think it's even fragmented from the hair, to be honest with you. And, you know, this is something me and Jeff have talked about. When you think about the buckets of customer, you know, customers and sizes, there's micro, there's small, there's small middle market, there's true middle market. There's a whole segmentation that's happened, I think, organically over a really long period of time as we all evolve and, and kind of uh, expand our products and our offerings to be a broader reach. So, you know, very difficult to define individually broadly and everybody agree. But uh, I think, uh, you know, it's pretty safe to, to bucket it that way. Yes. I mean, I, I did look at some stats, you know, for um the uk so i think you know small and medium-sized enterprises we call them sme or small and medium-sized businesses uh represent probably 90 percent of all the businesses which are there yeah. and uh, it's not small and in the uk you won't believe but we have 5.5 million small and medium-sized enterprises and then the macro size enterprises are around 5.2 million businesses so not insignificant and you know i think we've COVID and now being able to do digital better and working from all around the globe, there would be more small businesses coming to market. Yeah, I agree. It, it's expanded massively. You know, COVID was a, you know, absolutely terrible event for the world. And, but for small businesses, you saw, you know, such thoughtful entrepreneurs try to figure out how to navigate that and expand their business and operations. And, you know, you saw a lot of people go from you know, one person shops to now remote 
opening up multiple shops across different areas and geographies. And so it's just a, it's, it's been an evolution in, in how we all define small business. Jeff, what are the challenges small businesses faced? I mean, you are talking with InsurTechs every single day, and I'm sure you are seeing unique patterns across all of them. Yeah, as far as small business when it comes to insurance, the shopping behavior pattern is so different on a personal line versus commercial line. And, you know, I think this is the biggest area open for disruption. It's the first step of the insurance shopping journey. Yeah. Um, yeah. And here's what I mean. So if I search auto insurance right now and Google will pull up first page results and that first page results, it says based on your zip code is always at the top, right? Yeah. So that means everybody that show up on their first page are people who want to do business with consumers like myself based on my zip code. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the U.S., insurance rating for every single carrier is all state-based. So every single peop, every single person show up on first page, if they are a direct-to-consumer, then they all say, hey, I want to do business with Jeff because he is in Chantilly, Virginia. So if I want to do business with Jeff because he's in Chantilly, Virginia, I want to make sure I show up on Google search first page based on Google locations, right? The personalized space is so dialed down, like it's been like this for a long time that, you know, there's a lot of uh, structure around the place on the first step of insurance journey. And, um, and also there's probably 15 performance marketing agencies, you know, and half of them public traded, like Everquote, like DataLot, like Quote Wizard, which is by LendingTree, QuinnTree, Alpha Media, the list go on, right? And their number one revenue for these performance media company is always either mortgage company or insurance industry. Mm -hmm. But right now, mortgage companies is taking a 90% revenue cut. So insurance is their bread and butter and survival right now. Um, but if you take a look at their revenue stream coming from insurance, mm -hmm. I would say it's 80% PNC and out of that 80% is auto, auto, auto. And then some percentage of Medicare, some percentage of final expense, some percentage of life. But this is their fragment of their revenue actually come from performance marketing space um, on the commercial line side. And and I think that's the biggest disruption for any direct to consumer carrier. So when you think about direct to consumer carrier, think about Harford, you know, I'm just putting Harford out there. Harford, they have a direct channel to serve the clients. Mm -hmm. So does Nationwide, so does Progressive, so does Liberty Mutual. Um, Progressive might have the biggest appetite out there with commercial auto, commercial trucking, and small commercials. But true commercial, small commercial space, that space really belongs to CNA, Harford, Liberty Mutual, and and um, Chubb, of course. And um, But, you know, if I talk about the true direct-to-consumer space, I mean, they, they're just not spending money on Google like the four top direct-to-consumer personalized carriers are, which is Liberty Mutual, USA, um, Progressive, and Geico. Yeah. So the structure of how consumers shop really come down to who bid for their mobile search. And right now, 
I'll say on the personalized side is 80% enterprise direct to consumer, 18% by the agency force, which is also agents, state farm agents, farmers agent that's subsidized by their carriers. And then the other 2% on the personalized side go to independent agents. And on the commercial line side, it's just everywhere. It's the, the, the amount of dollars is, is changing every day because there's so many different keywords, right? Like personalized is so easy. You just bid on auto. You just bid on home. On the commercial line side, you can't just bid on commercial insurance. You have to bid on specific out keywords, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And, you know, when we actually observe some of the challenges around, you know, what SME means and, you know, even them trying to find insurance over the past two years, and that is going to be a question for team. You know, a lot of insurers have come out of specific lines of business. I've talked to insurers, I've talked to startups, which had to change their strategy. Some actually failed when they lost their insurance capacity so we see that potentially regulation and shifting strategies right amongst insurers have also affected the SME from a commercial insurance report but also for those who need it team what's your view yeah i completely agree with that i think there's you know when you think about the dichotomy between <clears throat> the personal lines industry and the commercial industry right and making it easy, as Jeff puts it, to come into the front door, mm -hmm. to be able to get a quote, to be broadly accessible. You know, most of those small businesses that you referenced earlier, right? The small ones that really don't have the breadth and scale of some of these really large companies, mm -hmm. they're trying to look to secure insurance as easily as possible. One of the challenges is, and the, the biggest difference between personal and commercial lines is third-party data, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of centralized sources for personal lines where you can put in your name and address and it'll populate VIN numbers and you know everything else about your property. Commercial lines is still complex, right? Sometimes we forget that there's a lot of rating factors that go into that and there is no centralized data source where you can pull property values and property specs and you know go down the list, right? Like of all the rating components that go into commercial lines. It's whether you have one location or a hundred locations, the data points that you need are similar, right? As a business owner. And so without that, third-party centralization of data, what it creates for a, a customer is you still have to understand their business, right? You still mm -hmm. have to know how to classify them, which are, arguably is the most complex part of the process today, right? Like yeah. when you talk about all the different methodologies yeah. of carriers and, and everybody out there to get to the right classification of insured, you start thinking through like the process and it's like, you have NAIC codes, you have SIC codes, you have carrier proprietary codes, and all those can map to be different depending on your partner and your relationship. And so I think about the journey of a customer, right? What are we asking them to know? Yeah. We're asking them to know a lot, you know? And I think that's why I'm just such a huge proponent of, you know, as we've talked about before, and me and Jeff have debated this a million times, technology is there to enhance the experience of a customer, right? We're we should be leveraging technology to enhance things, not to completely up in the way insurance is transacted, because that's not possible after this long in the industry and you know how settled everybody is in, in their modeling and the process. Technology should really be a plug-in to take data from point A to point B as best as possible, and then still uh, have some level of care and attention 
to a small business owner, right? And I think that's where um, my stance is on on that. I feel like we really have to understand that technology isn't there to replace any of the mechanisms of what value can be added by great meaningful interaction and guidance to customers, but it should enhance the efficiency of partners. It should enhance the efficiency of customers to make it a little easier because those small business owners with what they've been through, oh my goodness, they got a lot more going on than just insurance, right? Like you're, you're wearing a million hats most of the time as a small business owner doing pretty much everything. So um, I think that's one of the challenges that I see in how we interact in the industry. And to me, it's got to be a choreographed dance. Carriers, brokers, customers all have to get together to kind of figure out how those puzzle pieces go together yeah. to create the right experience with the right things at the right time. Um, so that's that's my take on it. Well, let's go into the technology conversation because you know when I talk to carriers or to to young businesses, uh, you know carriers really want to solve for a variety of market. And I would say now, you know, looking at how we innovate in the small commercial is definitely uh, top of mind for for twenty twenty three. But when I talk about technology, you know, we are dealing still with legacy systems. And when we go into access to data and uh, driving maybe more um, real time underwriting, we're still struggling and particularly in commercial. So what's your view, gentlemen? And I'll start with Jeff around how do we make sure that we develop the right product and services, but also at the right price for those young businesses? Uh, As you know, as I said earlier, maybe that the price of insurance, when we were actually talking uh, together, the price of insurance, at least in the UK, has increased for cyber, for instance, for small com- for small commercial. It has increased. And so people are going to think twice, I need cyber. We are going into a highly digitized world. But a lot of the policy prices have increased drastically. How can I cover myself for a small price? And you know, some of the insurance available are very, very few. I am very proud to work with one of I mean, I'm insured by one of the leading insurers here in the UK, but the premium is not small. I'll be honest with you, it's not small. (laughs) (laughs) So, Jeff, what's your view? You know, Progressive developed telematics, and uh, telematics brought in a new era of smart underwriting on the go, right? And then Tesla, you know, they have all the data with the cameras, the braking, the acceleration, and they are like a more almost more advanced version of progressive telematics in a way. So personal line insurance is being evolving so fast, right? And um, I think small commercial when it comes to cyber, at some point there are gonna be more partnerships of if we give you cyber policy discount number one, let's just we call it a safety device. Um there's a discount on your cyber policy call safety device and you got to partner with our partner vpn let's just call it norton vpn right you have 11 employees in your organization and these 11 employees have 11 laptops 11 laptops and 11 cell phones and 11 email address so we need all norton vpn installed on all 11 laptops 11 uh mobile device and also what we need is we need i don't know mcafee uh software uh antivirus device right we also need google authenticator 
So once these all three check marks are done, and we see all 11 devices being monitored live on the software, the virus software, the, the VPN, the authenticator, then you get this discount. That will bring your cyber policy down. And I don't think these days cyber policy is that sophisticated enough. And I see one day somebody will connect all these protective devices all together because phishing, hacking, mal malware are all really come in through a couple ways, right? Texting, email, right? A stolen off identification information. And um, these three things and potentially a couple other things can be a defense mechanism, like a shield, right? So in the future, I don't see cyber as one giant policy. I see a telematic version of cyber policy coming in, and that's got to be true strategic partnership. So when you start going through LinkedIn, you see every single carriers, insurance carriers, cyber policy, um, product development people, they've got to be more and more and more of strategic partner relationship people on the Right now, strategic partner relationship people for insurance carriers are all on the distribution side. At some point, they got to be on the product side, if that makes sense. That's just what I'm thinking. I don't know. Tim, Billion? Yeah, I, I, you know, um, I would say a few things to that. Like one of the, the challenges with the marketplace and cyber and what small business owners face is when you're talking about a small business owner, you know, it, the challenge is the cost of building the correct cybersecurity infrastructure. Right. And, you know, Jeff referenced all the things he has plugged in to monitor and all that stuff. But the intrusions are happening at such an elementary level that it's still a people driven loss. Right. When you're talking about phishing, that's just an email that went to somebody that then opened up a door. Right. And it's really education that you need to get to yeah. to the staff members of your business to try to help them understand when to do things, what to click, what not to click because it's still a people-driven loss at, at this point, right? In a majority of ways, same thing can be said about invoice manipulation, right? You get an email saying, hey, uh, wire me a million dollars and it appears to have the email address of your boss and you click it and you wire them a million dollars. Well, that's a people-driven loss, right? And so I think one of the challenges with cyber is you know, unlike geographic modeling and other things in property that you can do to understand uh, the quantity and the, the frequency of loss and the severity of loss, it's still one of those spaces where it's so people driven mm -hmm. that the predictability isn't there to be able to uh, moderate the prices, right? And I think that's the challenge is when you see your prices going up 40, 50, 60, 80% year over year for your cyber policy, it's because it's unpredictable at this point. You know, we, we still, we need more education. We need more training. We need more resources. Uh, and that's not all on insurance carriers either, right? In the marketplace, I think we, we've got to do a better job at educating our, our small businesses in the topic because it is happening at a higher frequency. There's more data and reporting around it than ever. And yeah. I think we have a really great opportunity to take a step back and say, okay, how do we get better at a people-driven event, right? Not a weather related, not a geography related event, not a, not something that we've typically historically modeled around, but how do we help the people and arm them be smarter as small business owners and employees to stop these trigger events from creating challenges? Um, it, it's a tough thing. 
and it's expensive today, by the way, the cybersecurity market. Oh my goodness. They, they're all time high in revenues. I mean, it's, it's yeah. in the hundreds of billions and increasing. Yeah, no, absolutely. Oh, wow. It's interesting because um, I have to give a shout out to, to Carbell, the Carbell team, because I have actually an educational uh, podcast and I definitely concur with you. Team, it's about education. And even talking with um, Alexis, I, I actually already had implemented a lot of those strategies because you do a lot of research. We do a lot of research on cyber. Yeah. We work with cyber startups. We work with carriers, right? We are in insurance, so we need to know what we we are pitching as well. But what they also have done is build uh, and launch two, two weeks ago, I think, an academy, which means that it's about teaching, educating young entrepreneurs, but also small businesses, the, the basics of how one yep. protect oneself and uh, is secured in a highly digitized world. And so if you had, you know, three tips to give just for cyber, before we talk about other, we are talking about small commercial. So there are other things than just cyber. What would be the three tips you would give either a small commercial um, customer, entrepreneur, enterprise, and a potential insurance buyer? Yeah, that's a, a it's an interesting question. I mean, there's tons of, of research that suggests it, it most of it starts with a proper training and education around what to do if, right? So you've got to talk about those if then scenarios, right? When you get an email and you don't think that it's in the typical typical vernacular of your, you know, one of your coworkers or your boss, like that's a pause point, right? It, it's I think something that when you work at a large company, right? If you think about all the trainings that get cascaded to employees. There's always trainings on that, right? If you get a phishing email, here's what you click, here's what you do, here's who you call. But when you work in a small business where you're literally just trying to survive, you know, the next day's orders or whatever it may be, it's not top of the priority list to go around and tell your staff, like, hey, if you get a weird phone call, don't click that wire button. You know, if you get a weird email, ask me if I sent it. You have my phone number, text me, right? Like, there's small things that you can do as a small business owner that aren't you know, cost associated in building cybersecurity infrastructure around your, your computer systems and data, but more around the behaviors of the people that would probably help. And so that would be where I would start with the advice is, you know, if I'm a small business owner in today's world, the one of the first things I'm doing is sitting down with my staff to say, okay, guys, here's what I think in, you know, that, that could happen to you, right? And there's plenty of, to your point about Googling it, plenty of ways to Google, like, what's happened to somebody in cyber and you'll get it and you can take those scenarios and then extrapolate what you would do to your, your employees. That's a 15 minute meeting, right? You don't have to be there for two hours with them, you know? And yeah. I think that's a great first step. You know, I think calling experts is always a plus, right? Again, as I mentioned, the cybersecurity, you know, firms that are out there, like they're available and they're in, in abundance right now. And so my recommendation is call someone, get a consultation. You know, mm -hmm. I don't think that's a bad move. Uh, to start with. So, I mean, those two recommendations are absolutely uh, crucial for, for people to process and also understand. Tim, I'm going to tease you, maybe, I don't know, but what what about what is happening with ChatGPT? You probably read the news, right? People have been <laughs> able to build malware with ChatGPT. And, yeah. you know, there's been really interesting stories, which are scary, or emulate somebody else. So, ChatGPT, yeah. talk like Sabine van der Linden. 
you know, right. that is scary. And then you have this other layer of, of education. You have to provide young employees, yep. right? It's now even yep. different, right? Yeah, it's terrifying. I'll be honest. In today's world, like people are uh, that want to do bad things typically get very creative, right? And as you stop one bad thing, they evolve and they evolve and they evolve and they evolve. And, and I think when you look at uh, how the evolution of these hacks have happened, right? Hackers have gotten smarter. They know how they're being stopped and they pivot and they do a really good job at, at finding new ways to enter in to people's worlds. And so the challenge with what you just mentioned is, is are you going to solve that as a business owner? Probably not. Like if somebody's really good at imitating you, right? It'd be like taking a clone and walking into your physical location, right? And then telling your employees what to do. It's just happening happening digitally instead, right? Which is a like a terrifying concept to think of. But I mean, I think the best thing that you can do is just continue to reinforce to your employees what to look out for as much as possible and be realistic that you can't prevent everything like yeah. it's impossible right and the cost of the the product is increasing but relative to the loss that happens right it's still the same insurance principle right you're paying this now to avoid paying this later mentality and so as expensive as it is when you see those you know quotes in your head comparative to what you think you should pay for it it is still um, better than paying those huge Absolutely. sums later in insurance. And I think that's the the hardest thing as a small business owner is when you're strapped for revenue is to look at your outgoing non-revenue generating payments and, and say, this is great. It's fine. But, you know, I think it's one of those necessities. You can't, unfortunately, you can't avoid thinking about having a cyber policy today and, you know, to properly protect your your assets, you, you really have to consider it. And cyber carriers have given a lot of resources too. I don't want to knock them, right? Everybody that's right, right cyber is created cyber centers with resources and educational material and hotlines to call in if something happens to, you know, mitigate loss and stop intrusions with known cybersecurity firms. So there's a lot of added benefits other than just paying a claim in a cyber policy. You get support with a lot of the carriers that are really good at it. Yeah, I think, you know, that it's first about for sure education and it's also about continuing driving that awareness like we have done with, you know, climate change, environmental change and sustainability. The more people have become aware of uh, the man-made events. Well, recently, actually, I was talking to, to a startup that Sabine, there is always man-made disaster and there is climate events. And so I think it was a really polite way of saying, if we can control the behavior of humans, then probably we could actually uh, do better. Jeff, what's your view on this before we talk about other things that affect small commercials? Yeah. <clears throat> So Tim brought up all the good points of how to mitigate um, a claim, a potential cyber claim. These are not things that we can control, but these are things that we can help to control things, right? Um, yesterday, I saw a guy who did a live webinar as Tom Cruise. <laughs> the deep fake technology is so amazing because we have Tom Cruise in movies, so they got the voice. They got the voice from Tom Cruise. And now they have the face of Tom Cruise. He did a 30-minute webinar as Tom Cruise in Tom Cruise voice to show off the deep, deep fake technology. 
And then also I have seen Trump did it. I have seen Biden did it. I mean, there's so many deep fake of Biden and Trump out there, right? Yeah, so, Elon Musk. Yeah. You know, even Elon yeah. Musk have a real, a real looking like look alike Elon Musk. So just yeah, and let's like, get a Jeff Sheed deep fake. That'd be awesome. Let's do that yeah, right now. But, like but here's the thing, that's easy. <laughs> so so if I want to do phishing against my employees, I can mirror a cell phone number, right? Someone can literally call one of my people and make the call that he says Jeff Sheet. If you don't know how to do it, go on YouTube. That's easy done. <laughs> there's there's probably 20 videos of me on LinkedIn and YouTube of my webinars and my podcast. You can go on my LinkedIn channel and see all my podcasts. But now you have my voice. Now you have my face. So if someone want to do a deep fake, call my customers, call my employees, and get them to wire money, I could get done in two hours. That's how scary it is. And now that Tim is on the internet, we can get Tim's deep fake oh. on face and voice done, right? And we can use that to call his, his people. Don't his scare friends, right? Tim. I mean, I don't have any friends. You're life. safe. You're safe. I have zero okay. friends. Internet world, just so you know, zero. Don't so worry about it. Here, here, here's my solution on on one thing there's a big famous claim that happened in 2021 it's actually against the insurance carrier that they got hacked and and then the hackers was very very famous you i think they're ukraine i could be wrong um and they were group they're a group of sophisticated hackers and they demanded like um 20 million dollars in bitcoin and they give them a deadline but since this carrier they're like we never paid ransom in bitcoin before we don't know how and they missed the deadline and once they missed the deadline the ransom doubled so instead of paying the original ransom amount and reclaim their business they had to pay double so there's a lesson learned right there and here's the reason why um cyber world is a little bit different right like um if you are playing in the habitual world if you're playing in the uh small commercial world of uh, restaurants of uh, landscaping whatever the claim is the res restoration work being done it's going to be paid out in u.s dollars right u.s dollars is the same mechanic that we use for underwriting purposes right when we do underwriting our premium is, is losses potentials restoration plus restoration costs and actually mechanics equals a premium equals a premium and the premium is then get deposited into insurance carriers insurance carriers they take that premium and they have their a flow of charts right mm -hmm. we're going to use premium for investing and we're going to use premium for uh sto uh storing right deposit storing you know in case in case of a bad day so here we are then we are at the situation where Cyber is the only insurance product right now that the end payout doesn't happen in U.S. dollars, right? Name another insurance product where the the insurer, the insurance carrier, pay the insurer that doesn't pay them in dollars. Mm -hmm. Because when Tim Lovett, let's just say he have a, a small business and small consulting business got hacked. And then he's coming to Jeff, say, Jeff, I'm making a claim. I said, okay, what do you need to claim? What do you what do you need to pay? He said, I need to pay my ransom people in a million dollar Bitcoin. I'm like, hmm, that's odd. Because 
you give me dollars and I'm storing dollars, but I had to pay you out in Bitcoin, right? So the main currency out there is Bitcoin, Ethereum, Ethereum, and um, there's a dog. I can't remember the dog. Dogecoin? Dogecoin? Yeah. yeah we have a Daryl right? Dodge, yeah. Well, it's because yeah. you contract them, right? Um, yeah. So just imagine the people that who are the reinsurance partner of Calbell, the reinsurance partner of Beasley, of Harvard, um, I think they got to have a 10 to 1 ratio. So for every million dollar of premium that they are storing on the book, I think there got to be some kind of regulation. They they all need to come together and say, hey, what should the number be? And then this is a bunch of quants and actually need to do the work on it. That they need to store that 10% minimum in Bitcoin's mm-hmm. deposits reserve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so when we look at small commercial, uh, Jeff, as, um, you know, an, a sector that need help with the right insurance beyond cyber, where do you think are the opportunities and who is doing really well serving the small commercial market? I defer this question to Tim Lovett. Okay. Uh, he's punting. He's punting, Sabine. This is, this is not shocking. Um so I would say there's a couple things that we all try to think through, right? And it's delivering the right products to the customers. And I think where we're all starting to understand is like insurance and insurance products and all those things. We have to keep evolving, right? Customers have different needs. There are different arrangements. There's different limits based on sizes and how they're growing. And so I think we're all looking to evolve and really be valuable to a customer. But I also think that includes non-insurance products. I don't... I think we're um, we're hitting a phase where insurance products and insurance services and coverages and limits are table stakes. You have to do those things. You have to transact it well to be successful with customers. But I also think all those other ancillary things that someone does or can do, right, to add value to a customer, non-price, non-product, non-coverage, is really important, right? And it's the little things like digital service. You know, do, do you have the ability to get online and take care of your own stuff, request your own certificates, change your own coverages. Can you manage your own policies digitally? That's a really non-core to the function of the policy, but it's core to the function of our lives, right? I can check into a hotel through my phone today, right? Like I don't even stop at the front desk anymore. I don't even know if they have people there. Scan, go, move, right? And I think that's a a core function that we've got to offer to customers. And I think we do really well at that. You know, we, we're an exceptional carrier with, with that space. I think it also goes to the other uh, intangibles like loss control, mi- risk mitigation resources, different partnerships that we have because of our brand, uh, you know, ties to other folks that can offer products and services, you know, at discounted rates. I think there's there's a whole evolution coming in carriers and partners externally understanding how to come together to better serve business owners. And it's something I work on in my space tirelessly. Like I'm very passionate about what helps the small business owner, not how can I sell a policy? That's not important to me whatsoever. It's a byproduct of being good at adding value that that happens. But I believe that working with brokers, third parties, other entities to create value for a small business owner is kind of where we need to head because Nobody wants to move for five, ten dollars difference up or down in premiums. You no. know, it's just too much work. No. But 
the value that you can add back, you know, by being intelligent with who you align yourself to is incredibly helpful to a small business owner by giving them resources that they normally would have to pay for, you know, to get elsewhere. So that's my take. I I believe in value. Um, Me and Jeff talk about this a ton. He's he's smiling because he's probably heard me say this a million times, (laughs) but I think it's so important to add value. Um, That's just my perspective. Yeah, it's value creation. Jeff, anything you want to add? I do. Uh, so what's funny is now Tim and I are going to flip. I am going to talk about the other side of that coin. You know, when we go to InsurTech Connect, when we go to InsurTech Insights, when we go to, you know, five, seven, eight, ten regional InsurTech events, the people who are participating in these events are carriers. Software vendors, there's a lot of software vendors. If I have every dollar for a software vendor, I'm a rich guy. Um, but let's find a way to do that, sir. At, at the end of the day, let's just say Tim Love have a restaurant in Columbus, Ohio, and they sell the best uh, Connecticut New Haven pizza out there, right? <laughs> and um, and he have a claim. He have a claim to his restaurant, right? He's going to talk to his broker agent who show him the Hartford insurance policy because he have a claim. You know, there's a really sad thing happening with our industry right now. There are probably one third or even 40% of agency owners are retiring. In the next three to five years, we could see 45 to 40% of our total agency owner retiring. And these are the bedrock of insurance. I mean, when we talk about insure tech, we put technology on insurance. At the end of the day, there's no, they're the true CX, right? Customer experience CX. These brokers serving Tim in his New Haven pizza in Columbus, Ohio, they're the bedrock. They're the foundation, right? Everybody else around it, we are just actuary. We are just distribution. We are just commission. We are just carrier reps. At the end of the day, the true connection to the ground of the agents is these is little Joanne, is Susie, is Dong, is Mike, that's been taking the bills, filing the claims, changing the policies, that's been communicating and giving the, the, the delivering some of the best customer experience there is. Because outside of your home purchase, your car purchase, there's no other more important purchase than insurance purchase, right? And they've been providing the trust and peace of mind. 40% of these people are disappearing, right? So you look at what's coming down the pipeline. There's two issues I see coming down the pipeline. You have Gallagher's, Aquashore, Brown, Brown, and all these massive brokers are buying up these insurance left and right, 400, 500 agencies at a time. Are they putting the right people in the place, continue to run these place, and providing that same customer experience support? So that's number one. That's challenge number one, right? Challenge number two, and I think that's a bigger challenge, is is the insurance space on an agency level still attracting the best talent? I mean, are we still getting people who want to apply at a local agency in Columbus, Ohio, to talk to people like Tim who own their own restaurants? I mean, it's not just a money thing. It's also, I talk to so many agency owners and agency staff and agency manager. They take so much pride in what they do, right? Is that pipeline of talent still coming in? Because what we have, what we if that doesn't happen, what we're going to have is a Southwest experience. 
Southwest was in the news every day the last two weeks of 2022 because they decided to close down their call center to save themselves money and make themselves label themselves. We don't have call center no more, so now we're yes, digital. That as well with the banks here in the yeah. UK. I mean, we're talking about like United, America, Delta, they were experiencing 4% translation and Southwest had like 93% translation, 95% translation. So it's it's a it's a major problem, uh, Jeff. And in our industry, you ask about talent. I think talent is going to be a major challenge um, within insurance because people are not uh, young. People are not thinking about insurance. They may think about working with you, sorry, team, or me because we are doing cool things, <laughs> but they don't yeah. really think That's about right. going right. with insurance, <clears throat> right? And so hey, they don't want to work for Jeff. I completely agree. <laughs> Well, I hope but, uh, <laughs> it's uh, um, interesting to see that, you know, the talent challenge means they are, you know, the talent is asking for remote work or flexible work or hybrid work. They are asking for skill sets. So you mentioned as part of your work team, you are building digital ecosystem. You are involving the agents and the insurers. Uh, your your partners, your clients, everybody's in ecosystem so that you can learn together. And I've seen actually uh, some companies now developing, even giving their free training. So I was doing some engagement with IBM and they're giving their training, the same training IBM has off to their partners. So companies are trying to be innovative. But when you think about insurance, right, we have an agency issues, but actually when you start looking at a small commercial enterprise owner, what they are looking for is digitization, the mobile phone, as you mentioned, so tech-enabled solutions. They want spatial coverages, right? They want things which support and solve their problem. So they want some customization. And I, I'm very lucky, right? When I was talking about my insurers and my insurance is quite expensive is because I have to be insured for the US. <laughs> That's the main reason. Yeah. And I have a bundle offer. So I have my cyber with everything else, which is superb. And I think it is one of the few insurers in Europe which worked this one out for um, small business. And because they are probably the only one, yes, they are charging a high premium for it. So what would be, team, first with you, your, your last word of wisdom for our listener. And after that, I will go to Jeff. Yeah, I think to, to tie a lot of it together, like what we've all talked about, you know, continuously, I think ties back to the same theme, right? Even if you think about the supply and demand issue of, of talent and, you know, all the stuff happening in the insurance industry, we've got to uh, look for ways to become more efficient through leveraging technology, data, whatever we can to create improved experiences for customers, right? Mm -hmm. Those improved experiences to me, I, I think, you know, again, I, I said this earlier, but I feel so strongly about this. It shouldn't be tearing things down. We, we we shouldn't look to completely rip everything apart and start over. What we should look to do is enhance the way we interact, what we interact with, and create a, a really great experience for customers with everything in mind, right, based on what they want. And, and I think when I look at the world of insurance, I'm encouraged, right? Everybody's doing a lot of cool things. Uh, what I think I want more of and what I strive to do every day is connect with as many folks as possible to start breaking down the silos of walls, mm -hmm. to start building together instead of separately. And I think as we build together toward a great customer experience, uh, overall offering value, giving them things that are tangibly improving their business lives, their insurance products, their insurance policies, all those things, 
I think what we're going to end up with is, is a really great world. And it sort of solves the supply and demand issue of talent. Because if you become more efficient, if you become more um, pointed and focused toward the right things for customers and do that in a way that doesn't create more work, mm -hmm. then you may have attrition uh, of talent in the industry. And I absolutely see that curve happening, but we're still going to be able to serve customers because we're still going to be efficient and try to do it right. So that would be uh, my thoughts. Jeff. Oh, last five years, $6.5 billion came into InsureTech. And hold on one second. My daughter just came in. Um, $6.5 billion came into InsureTech. And um, that's a lot of money, right? <clears throat> and <clears throat> these VCs, many of them that work at InsureTech VCs, they come from the SaaS space because SaaS is the space that we know for the last 10 years. And SaaS is easy for them to make bet on. Recurring revenue. And, yeah. And I think in the next five years, I think the next five years, um, I really hope the VCs start broadening their mindset. InsureTech is not just UX. InsureTech is also CX. InsureTech is not just technology. InsureTech should also be distribution. Yeah. Distribution is where the revenue is. I mean, many people can tell you that, you know, EBITDA revenue of insurance premiums can rival those of softwares. And, and also more of a fixed model versus a variable model, right? Yeah. But, you know, I get sad about watching many, many InsureTech carriers the last five years made the pitch to VC said, we are replacing the agent. We are replacing the distribution force that's been together for 10 years. If you look at all say purchase insurance, they shelved it, right? They bought it, they shelved it. USA bought Nobler, they bought it and they shelved it. So, you know, I think that should be a lesson to all the VCs that the next five, 10, 20 years, there's still agents in the place. Yeah. Agents have a place in the ecosystem. And then the other thing I, you know, want to send a message to out there. I see so many InsureTech founders making this mistake is they are treasure people who are Silicon Valley from Northwestern universities versus the people who are 10 years, 15 years in the insurance space and come from insurance space. I'm trying to compete with my daughter's toys voice in the background you know the sound that's all right and um, and, uh and i think <laughs> and i think the people like tim myself and many other out there provide so much value to the workforce in the next five to ten years we should be also take part in how we're shaping up short tech and insurance and not just the software people and then the young silicon valley people Oh, I, yeah. I agree. Arm, uh, arm brokers and agents. I, I love that message, Jeff. Like yeah. we've got to equip distribution to help customers, not replace them. I, I believe wholeheartedly that they need equipped and, and armed with the tools. So, you know, I, I need to highlight actually that, you know, when I started working with startups seven years ago and I built startup bootcamp in Shotech in, uh, in Europe and I work with the Hartford in uh, Connecticut with the InsureTech hub that I built with the accelerator then, one thing which came through our doors is I would say 70% of the applications to the accelerator were from um, platform 
which were improving the customer engagement, actually, just was all CX. And then gradually, as you know, the industry matured and probably the investors met their demands, it moved more SaaS and more back of the envelope core system. I think now we are going to start seeing a rebalance. And as we saw, you know, past two years, we had WeFox, which became very quickly uh, a unicorn. And I think it's around six, seven billion valuation today because they didn't go direct. They went for the distribution and reimagining what distribution could look like. So there's a lot to say to not try to get rid of the value chain, but augment the value chain with the services they need to become better. So on this note, I would like to thank you both. If people want to talk to you and find you, where they go, Tim and Jeff? Where do we go? <laughs> Uh, so I would tell you, feel free to email me. Um, you know, my email address is, is fairly simple. It's uh, Timothy, T-I-M-O-T-H-Y dot Lovett, L-O-V-E-T-T at theharkford.com. Uh, would love to engage. Always willing to learn and understand what's going on in the market. So happy to connect and engage with anybody out there. Thank you. Jeff? I am on Facebook and LinkedIn. I am more active on LinkedIn with sharing of other people's posts and um, some of my posts. And uh, also Tim, I'm trying to get him to be more active on LinkedIn. He's, so find Tim he's on LinkedIn begging me, well. feel free to try. I, I will, I'm not Jeff, but I will do my best. <laughs> we can repost and we actually always, you know, support our network. So every day we do our little bits. So people will find you both. Thank you very much for our session today. But on this note, I will say bye. And uh, until next time. If you like this podcast, subscribe now, share with your friends, and if you enjoyed it, please give it a five-star review. Also, if you want to cover any specific subject with me, contact me on Instagram under Subin VDL Officials or LinkedIn under Sabine van der Linden. Thank you.